Uh, well, guys, good morning. Uh, I'm so glad that you're with us. We're in Daniel, the book of Daniel. Um, we're going to be in chapter 4 this morning. We've been doing this series now uh, for three weeks. Uh, we've entitled it Daniel, um, Faith in the Face of Fear. And I want to tell you, our staff... Um, our leadership, man, we, we've really, we've been talking about how the Lord has been using this and speaking to us, and kind of our hope, I, we hope that's going on with you too. Uh, that, that's our hope, is that, that uh, as we've been walking through the book of Daniel, that God is really speaking to you and, and, and talking to you specifically about how you can face the difficulties in life um, by believing in a God that is bigger than those difficulties, right? And so we're going to continue that this morning. As we get to Daniel chapter 4, uh, it's a lot of scripture to read. We're, we're still reading a chapter at a time, so we're going to go through all of chapter 4. And there were really two ways that I could go about this message that I thought through uh, on Thursday morning. And it was either we could kind of wade into this stuff, just very gently, right? And uh, maybe kind of have a little fluffy point somewhere, or we could just kind of cannonball straight into the text. So we're doing the cannonball, because that's, that's kind of how I roll. So uh, let's pray as we prepare just to jump right into Daniel chapter 4. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for being so good, and thank you for allowing us to rest in you. It's kind of what we just sang about, God, is our complete and utter need for you. And Father, this morning we publicly, um, collectively, we just want to repent for every time in our life that we act like we can do it on our own, uh, that we act like we don't need you. God, that is so far from the truth. We need you every moment. We need you this very second. And so, God, do what only you can uh, in, 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 in this room. Holy Spirit, we want to invite you to come and be our teacher and to be our guide. And we pray that uh, you would open up the scriptures and that our hearts would burn with passion as we see um, Jesus, even, even in this text in the Old Testament. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Josh, could you check the air over there for me and make sure? Just push the down button till it's on a good, it's right there by the piano. Just push that down button until it's on like 62, no, 68, 68, just joking, 68 uh, is good. So guys, I'm in, I'm in Daniel chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading out of the, uh, the CSB, every once in a while somebody asks me what translation I use, uh, I switched to the Christian Standard Bible about a year and a half, two years ago, so that's what I read, we have NIVs in the pew in front of you, it's okay, it's all the same word of God, okay, um, just a couple little different, different things there, but uh, um, I'm in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And the Word of God says this. It's, it's King Nebuchadnezzar, comma, right? Uh, like, is it to King Nebuchadnezzar? No, it is not. It is not to King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, the king is actually writing this segment of Daniel, which is kind of interesting. So, uh, so, so this is coming from the king. The king is going, hey, like, listen up. This is cool. And so whether he like, said, hey, Daniel, write this down for me, or hey, Daniel, here's my thoughts on this period of my reign. Uh, but we have it. This is from the king. It's really, really cool. It says, to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, uh, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. So I want you to kind of keep this as a banner, because what we're about to read uh, doesn't feel like miracles and wonders. Okay, I just want to confess to you that if you're here this morning and you're walking through a season like what I'm about to explain, you're not going to feel like that season of life is miracles and wonders and rainbows right now. Okay, all right. So King Nebuchadnezzar, though, on the back side of what he's about to go through, what we're going to read says, "Man, praise be to God! Praise be to God because He's awesome." And he says, "How great are His miracles and how mighty is His wonders! His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and His dominion from generation to generation." So that is from uh, what we. 
once knew as a pagan king. And we're going to see what God does to get his attention. So starting in verse 4, he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace, which, by the way, was one of the seven wonders of the world. Uh, It had hanging gardens. Hanging gardens. Uh, Go Google it. It was evidently one of the most spectacular things ever. So he's chilling in his palace with hanging gardens. Uh, He says, I had a dream and it frightened me. Uh Uh-oh. This has happened before, right? It's happened before. While in my bed, the images and visions in my mind alarmed me, so I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon before me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians and the mediums and the Chaldeans and the diviners came in, I told them the dream, but they couldn't make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel named Belshazzar um, after the name of my God and a spirit of the holy gods is in him. He came before me and I told him the dream. Belshazzar, uh, I told uh, the dream to, to, to Belshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and no mystery puzzles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. In my visions uh, of my mind, I was lying in bed and I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. Its top reached the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw uh, in the visions of my mind a watcher a holy one coming down from heaven. And he called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. Uh, other translation would say for seven seasons. We don't know what the seasons are necessarily, but for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers and the decision is by command from the holy ones. Uh, this is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives it to anyone he wants, and he sets the lowliest of people over it. This is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Balthazar, tell me the interpretation, because no one of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me, but you can, because you have a spirit of the holy gods. Okay? So then it says, Daniel, whose name is Balthazar, was stunned for a moment. And his thoughts alarmed him. And the king said, Belshazzar, don't, don't, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Daniel answered, my Lord, may the dream apply to those who hate you. And its interpretation to your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, whose top reached the sky, and it was visible to the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, uh, on which was food uh, for all. Under it, the wild animals lived. In its branches, the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty. For you have become great and strong and your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron bronze around it and the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. 
You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and He gives them to anyone He wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, uh, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, may my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. And so this is the king, uh, this is the interpretation Daniel gives to the king. And check this out. This is what happens about a year later. Okay, about a year later from that moment, listen to what Scripture says. It says this, uh, All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar uh, at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, Is not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power for my majestic glory? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. And in, and, and, and in that moment, my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And He does what He wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. There is no one who can block His hand or say to Him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, my advisors and and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom. And even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of the heavens. Because all his works are true. And his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Whew. What a story. A real story. What, what a real story that happened in history. Right? So the question is, what, what are we supposed to learn from the story of Nebuchadnezzar in, in the book of Daniel in chapter 4? And so uh, I, I just have two things I want to share with you this morning. We'll be done. Just two. All right? And so here's the first. I told you we we're going to do a cannonball into the text. Here's the first lesson uh, we're supposed to learn. Ready? God will allow us to go through some really wild seasons in order to remind us that he's in control. Okay? Once you know that this morning, okay? It's in prosperity gospel, people. God will allow you to go through some really wild seasons in life in order to remind you that he is in control. And so here's our cannonball into the story, finding ourselves in the story. Ready? Um, we, that's us, me and you, we have a problem with pride. That's, that's, the, that's the, like if we were jumping into the text, that's it. We, we have a problem with pride. Now, I said this a few weeks ago. When we read the book of Daniel, we like to identify with Daniel, right? We want to identify with Daniel. He's the man of faith. He's the hero of the story. But the truth is, in the early chapters of Daniel, um, we look a lot more like Nebuchadnezzar than we do Daniel, right? 
That's, that's, that's the truth of it. And so if we were going to find ourselves in the story, we'd probably find ourselves in the role of Nebuchadnezzar. And so uh, just recapping, the king has another dream that he can't interpret it. And so he calls uh, all the wise men and the magicians and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans. And these guys have to be quaking in their boots, right? Because last time he called them, he's like, hey, I had a dream. I'm not going to tell you the dream. It's really upsetting to me. You have to tell me the dream and you have to interpret it. And if you don't, I'm going to kill you. Right? And he didn't just say, I'm going to kill you. He's like, I'm going to tear you limb from limb, and I'm going to turn your house into a dump, into a garbage dump. That's the exact text, right? And you go, okay. So he calls these guys. They've got to be a little freaked out. But this time he says, hey, I'm going to tell you the dream. So he tells them the dream. He says, I just want its interpretation. They look through all their books. They go, king, we got nothing for you. And so the king says, well, I know who I'll call. I'm going to call Daniel, because at this point, the king has seen something special in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has seen that their God is able to rescue from fire, that their God is able to to, to grant wisdom from on high. And so he's like, I'm going to call Daniel. Daniel's going to tell me what's up. And so he calls Daniel into the room. He's like, Daniel, um, listen, I've had another dream. And Daniel's probably thinking the same thing. Oh, here we go again. And uh, he says, "And, and here's the dream. The dream, Daniel, is is that I was laying in my bed and I saw this huge tree. And and the tree was so big, it covered the entire earth and its branches were strong and and its leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant. It had so much food that it could feed everyone in all of the earth. And all of the wild beasts, they found found shelter under its branches and the birds found a place to rest uh, from their flight. And and, and it was gorgeous. But then um, this watchman came. Now that word in the Hebrew, the way that it would have been understood in Daniel's day, would probably have been um, messenger or angel. Uh, Then an angel came, an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord came and said, cut down the tree, right? And uh, and so they go through this whole thing and he calls Daniel and Daniel kind of becomes a little troubled, right? We'll get to this in a second, but but the moment that Daniel understands the dream, uh, it says in verse 19, uh, right? It says, uh, so, so the king says, Daniel, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. The, when, when Daniel hears the dream, he's, he's immediately taken back. The king can see it on his face. He's worried. He's concerned. I, I believe he's concerned because he likes the king at this point. He, he wants good things for the king. We find that in, in, in the second half of this verse. Uh, he says, may, my Lord, may that apply to your enemies, right? Like, this is not good news. In other words, and we'll talk about this in a second, Daniel had to deliver bad news to the king, right? And, and, and it was a tough place to be. He says, King, that tree is you. And your kingdom's going to be cut down. And there's going to be seven seasons that you have to go live like a wild animal. And he says this, uh, verse 25, and you're going to do that until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. Okay, that verse, verse 25, uh, and, and what it's saying is the key to unlocking all of the information you're supposed to get out of Daniel chapter 4. Okay, so how do you know that? Okay, I know that because that phrase is going to appear five times, five times in a very small number of verses. And I'll prove it to you if you want to walk through the text with me. Let's start in in verse 17, Uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, uh, this is going to happen, so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. That's in, in verse 17. Then again in verse 25, it says, this will happen to you until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. And then again in verse 26, as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules uh, basically over human kingdoms, then, then, then things will change. In verse 32, it says, uh, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler, 
ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. And then, of course, at the end, uh, there in verse 35 and 36, he says, there's no one who can block the hand of the Lord and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. The story of Daniel chapter 4 is a story of a king with a lot of pride. And it's the extent to which God will go to humble someone with a lot of pride so that that person that is very prideful will know that they are not in control of life, but God is. And so here's the problem with us in Daniel chapter 4. Now, how many of you have a, uh, a kingdom that reigns over all the earth? Any of you? I don't see the tithing records, but I, I don't think we have anybody like that in the church. Right? Um, so you think, well, maybe that doesn't apply to me. Well... See, the problem is, though none of us have a kingdom or a dominion that reigns over all the earth, uh, we often act like it. See, a lot of times we decide that we're the ones that are in charge. And if you don't believe me, talk to me about how well you sleep at night. Right? If you can't sleep at night because you're worried about something, then you're the king. You're the one that's trying to be in charge. You're the one that's trying to be in control. You're the one that's trying to keep all the plates spinning at the same time. You are the king. And so God comes to this king and, and says, Hey, listen, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rock your world. I'm, I'm going to take everything that you think you have control over and I'm going to spin it completely out of control to prove to you that you're not the one in charge. I am. This is the extent that God is going to go, right? And why does God go to such an extent to do that? Why, why would God go to such an extent to, to do something? And the answer is because uh, at the root of all sin is the sin of pride. Because pride is the granddaddy of them all, right? C.S. Lewis called pride the greatest sin. You see, sin at its heart is, is a rejection of God's rule over our lives. That's what sin is. So sin is me saying to God, I reject your authority over me. I reject uh, your, your kingship in my life. I'm going to make my own decisions, which means I'm saying I am smarter than you. I know better than you do. Friends, that's prideful, amen? That's prideful. That, that's the definition of pride. And as I said, C.S. Lewis says that pride is, 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 is the greatest of all sins. In his book, Mere Christianity, he says, There is one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which um, hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they're guilty of themselves. I've heard people admit that they are bad, uh, bad tempered, that they can't keep their heads about girls or drink, or even uh, that they're cowards. I don't think I've ever heard anyone who wasn't a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There is no fault that makes a man more unpopular, and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I am talking about is pride or self-conceit. And the virtue opposite to it uh, in Christian morals is called humility. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. He says, it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Somebody says, well, wow. And so, hear me, if we're not Daniel in the story, 
and, and we're really more like the king, uh, and, and we, we have a problem with pride, which we do, because like pride is, is the root of all sin, then we kind of need to know, well, then how, how does God feel about my pride? How does God feel when I say, I've got this, right? I've, I've got it, God. I've got it. I don't need you. I've got this. How does God feel about that? And so the Bible tells us, like in the book of Proverbs, it says this. It says, to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then God says, I hate arrogant pride. You know how God feels about you saying, hey, God, hop off my seat? He hates it. He hates it. God hates pride. In the New Testament, and we, we find it put this way in the book of First of, of Peter, right? Um, it says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For why? For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know that, 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 that phrasing in the Greek, to oppose, it actually means to work against. God works against us when we're proud. He works against us. Now, how many of you that almost doesn't sit well, right? Anybody, anybody like, I don't, I don't know what, what that is, right? Because, I mean, after all, Romans 8.31, right? Um, if God is for us, who can be against us? We're like, wait a second, God is for me. God's for me. He can't be against me. God can't oppose me. He's for me. You, you want to bet? How, how many of you have multiple children? <laughs> Listen, I'm for my kids. You better not say a word about my children. I will hurt you. Um, I'm one of those parents, like, I have to pray to receive teacher emails, you know, in the right spirit. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, so I, I pray that way I'm not that parent because I, I don't ever want to be that parent. But, but it's just hard because that wells up in me because they're my kids, right? Um, but, but, but here, while I am for my kids, I oppose them daily for their good. You know what I'm saying? Because my children, I don't know about your children, um, I, there's something about childhood life that, that I, like, we have 52 million trash cans in our house, and yet, like, none of the trash can make it into them. Can't happen. Like, I have a simple rule. I provide you with cereal and milk, just rinse it out when you're done, right? Because it comes concrete in a bowl if you don't. It's not hard. It's not hard, right? I mean, basic stuff, like, your underwear should never be on my floor. <laughs> Ever. Never. I should never step on that. With my ever, Mm-mm. I don't know why it's so wet. I don't, don't even know. My sock is all wet, and that's wrong. And I don't know what kind of fluid that was. And I'm just saying, you, yeah, yeah. You follow me? Now, hear me. Listen, for the good of my children, so that they don't do that later in life. I oppose them sometimes forcefully when they. They break these simple commandments, right? I'm serious. And why do I do that? Because I love them. Because I love them. Here's what I'm going to say to you, and this is what Nebuchadnezzar finally got and he captured, is, is God loves you. And friends, I want you to understand me very clearly this morning. He loves you enough to know that the best thing for you is Him. Period. The best thing for you is God. And God loves you enough that when you are thinking and acting in a prideful manner saying, I've got this, Lord, and you're freaking out and you're worried at night because you've declared you're the provider, you're the one sitting in His throne. He loves you enough even though He is for you and He will protect you and He will fight for you because you are His child. He will oppose you. He will work against you in order to get your attention that you are not the one in control. He is. 
Now, I want to say this. This is a little public service announcement. If you're going through a rough season right now, many of you are, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is only because of your pride, okay? I've been through rough seasons, right? My father died. Uh, like, I didn't get to say goodbye. It was just like a one, like when, when that happened, like, and all that result, that wasn't because of my pride. That's not how God works, okay? So some of you are going through seasons, and I, I had someone in the early service, I was looking at them, they've lost two loved ones in the last uh, year and a half. I mean, I mean, it's been hard to watch them go through that. And I just wanted, I wanted that person to know that's, that's not because of your pride. That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's not, but, but, there are other things in our, our lives when, when like, like for instance, if you're here and you feel like God is distant, feel like you've been wandering in the wilderness for a period of time, you feel like you're saying prayers and they're bouncing off the ceiling, this is one of those places I say, well, maybe you should turn, maybe you should check and make sure it's not a pride issue, that God is not opposing you because he's trying to remind you that he is in control, not you. God will do it. I'm here to tell you, don't be shocked by it. And, and listen to this. This is even better. When he does it, he's not being mean. When he does it, he's not being mean. He's loving you. He's being nice. He, he knows that what you need is to get off his throne and let him be in charge of your life. That's what you need. You need to find rest in the, in, in the truth that he is good, that he is working for a purpose, and that even if you can't understand it, like you don't want to be... I, guys, listen, I don't know how the sun comes up every day. I don't. I don't know how every star is called out at night. I don't know how the sea knows where to stop. I know God does. I don't want to be in charge of that stuff, amen? I don't want to even be in charge of like my taxes, you know? Hand that over to my wife. I know you think you want to be in control, but you don't. You do not want the God of all creation opposing you, trying to get your attention so that you will recognize him as Lord, okay? So, so we'll start there. So that, that's the first one, guys. We, we are those people. And God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. Second thing I want you to see in the book of Daniel, because we want to be like Daniel, right? We're not Daniel, but we want to be like Daniel. So this, if you want to be like Daniel, here's your second point. Here's your second point, all right? We can't be afraid to share the hard truth with others that Jesus is king. Can't, okay? So uh, the, the, the context, remember, is that the king has a bad dream, okay? And not only does he have a bad dream, it is a bad dream. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it kept him up, and then, and then he, he tells Daniel the dream, and Daniel is what? He's alarmed. He's alarmed. Daniel is alarmed by the dream. He is so alarmed that, that the king sees it on his face, and the king is like, Daniel, it's okay. It's okay. Just tell me the bad news. Just tell me. And Dan, Daniel, like, like, listen, Daniel was so alarmed, he almost didn't want to share. But then he does, and he goes, and he shares the bad news. Now, why was it so hard for Daniel? Well, it was hard for Daniel because he cared about the king. Okay? This is where we fit. Ready? Guess what, friends? We are called to go into a world where we love people and share the hard truths of the gospel. And, and listen, I know we call it the good news, but can we be honest? The good news ain't so good at first. Right? Right? This is why. How many, how many of you led somebody to Christ this week? How many of you shared Christ with somebody this week? Anybody start a new church this week? Right? Anybody plan a church in, in Maynard or in between in your workplace? Say, we're going to plan a church. We're going to do Bible studies. We're going to love Jesus. We're going to worship Him. We didn't have a whole lot of that New Testament business going on this week, right? And the reason why we don't have a whole lot of New Testament business going on is because we are scared to share bad news with people we love. 
We're scared. We are scared. And, and Daniel, man of faith, our example, is scared to share the bad news with the king. But he does. He shares the hard truth with the king. And this is what I'm saying to you. Guys, we have a responsibility, according to Jesus, to go and share the gospel with people. And I'm just going to tell you, it is not, uh, like, it's not the good news till the end. Right? Because the first thing that you say, say, hey, hey, Jacob, man, I love you. It's so good to see you, brother. Listen, uh, I just want to tell you, because I love you, um, that you have a problem. Like, that, that's step one of the conversation. Anybody love pointing out other people's problems? Not on social media. I mean, in person, face-to-face, where they could punch you. It's totally different. Social media will point them out. Oh, well, you have a problem. You have a problem. You have, but you stand next to their face, and you're like, <clears throat> you should be that way on social media, too. I'm just saying. Listen, the good news starts off as bad news. And we can't be afraid to share it. We, 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 even though we love the people, we have to be able to go to them and say, hey, listen, you have a problem, and here's the problem, okay? You are prideful. That's the problem. You have rebelled against the authority of God. That's what sin is. And, and you have chosen to make yourself ruler uh, of your own life. And, and, and so that's a problem. And the Bible declares that God, while He may be uh, giving you a little grace right now, and a little period right now, but there is a day coming when He will hold all those people accountable for the rejection of, of, his, of his Son, of His truth, of His love, right? Of His law. And, and so you, you tell, like, here's the bad news. You have a problem, and the problem is that you are sitting in the seat of God. You are sitting on the throne of your life. That's your problem, right? And, and, and you say, oh, by the way, like, who all is down for this conversation this week? Amen? You get somebody at your work, you're like, yes, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Can't wait to go home and call my mom. Yeah, right? So you're going to go call somebody you love, go talk to somebody you love, and be like, hey, I love you. You have a problem. You're acting like the ruler of all creation, and you're not. Everybody's like, yes, there is somebody I know you do want to have that conversation with. Um, that's probably not a Jesus-centered thought you're having right now. Uh, right? So we start there. So you have a problem, and the problem is that you're prideful, and that you're trying to be the ruler of your life, but you're not. And we kind of start there. And, and, and that, that is rebellion. You've rebelled against the authority of God in your life. That's a problem. And then you go, and guess what? I've got another part of the news. It's even worse than that. The penalty for your rebellion is death. God love you. Have a nice day. It's like bad news. We are called to go to people that we love. Daniel's in a position to go to somebody that he cares about and he has to share the hard truth. He has to go, King, listen, here, dude, that's bad news. It's about you. It's about you. You've set yourself up as ruler, but God is ruler. We have to go to people in a watching world and say, I have bad news for you. You've set yourself up as ruler, but you're not ruler. God is ruler. Okay? And then we say, but, here's the good news. There is a good king. And he so desperately wants to reign over your life. And if you will allow him, if you will get out of his seat, he will graciously, He will humbly come and reign over your life. And get this, He will forgive the penalty of your great transgression. Though you deserve death, He will erase it from the books altogether. And He will allow you not just to be His citizen, but to become a child of God. That is our goal, right? That's our mission. 
Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, I say to you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We said uh, four weeks ago when we began this series, we had one request of everybody in our church. And that one request was that you would constantly, as we talk about fear, because it is so universal, and we talk about the importance of faith, that you would all on a regular basis, be inviting people to church. So I did this in the early service. So I got about 165 people here, 170. How many of you invited somebody to church this week? Raise your hand. Keep them up. I'm counting. I got little ones that did. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, that's not even 10%. That's not... That, that's not a hard truth. Come to church with me in the hard truth. Now, if you say you need church, that's a little harder. Um, but that's not a hard... You, you guys follow me? Like, like the, the baby steps of hard truth is please come to a place you could hear it. That's the baby steps. Just come with me. Come. I mean, God is speaking to me. God's doing something in my life. Just come with me to church. That's, that's what we ask. Like the most simple baby steps. And, and what I'm telling you is, man, we are a long way off if we say that we're Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel and you identify with a hero and you can't even invite somebody to church, brother, there's no way that you can stand before them and tell them the hard truth that they are sitting in the wrong seat. And that there is a true king that one day will take his throne back. And you better be on the right side of history. You guys follow me? So what I say to you, listen, um, I'm going to say this to you in love, okay? I'm going to oppose you a little bit because I love you like my kids. Less than 10% ain't good enough. Can I tell you that in love? Everybody looking at me, we're okay? I'm not being mean to you. There is no excuse not to invite somebody to church every week. You guys agree with that? Am I being too harsh? Man, Pastor Jason, so harsh invites to church. That's not the gospel. The call is to share the gospel as we go out in the world. Like, invite somebody to church. Share the gospel! Right? See, like, we're, we got to get here, and I just believe the only way we get here is by starting here. Okay? So here's my challenge to you this week. It's not in the application, but brother, sister, please, man, invite somebody to church. Invite a handful of people to church next week. Let's, let's have chairs up on the outside. Let's have people standing on the sides. Right? Because we, we believe the gospel is so important that people need Jesus. Okay. So let me give you some application. I'll let you go this, this morning. All right. I know those, those, uh, those biscuits and gravy are sitting a little heavy on you. Those that, by the way, if you missed our fifth Sunday brunch, man, you missed out. Oh, my God. Somebody made biscuits that had bacon and sausage in the biscuits, and then you poured the gravy. I, I'm assuming the gravy went with that. Who did that? I, don't, I just assume the gravy. That, that, that thing was calling pour gravy on me. I'm just saying. Pour some gravy on me in the name of love. Okay, anyway, whole different song. Um, all right. Ah, okay, application this week. Here we go. Step one. You got to lay down and let God remove your pride. So here's the deal about pride. Um, one, it sinks up on you. It just does. Um, it, it, pride deranges you. It makes you forget who God is. It, I mean, there, there's sometimes you, you're not, like you're, you're acting like God and you don't even see it. You know what I'm saying? You, you don't even see it. Uh, pride hardens you. 
Uh, it does. It, sin hardens you. It calluses you. That's, that's just what it does. And I read from C.S. Lewis earlier. And uh, so C.S. Lewis in another one of his books, uh, this one um, in the Chronicles of Nar- Narnia series, the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, he talks about Eustace. And Eustace is a boy that becomes uh, plagued with pride and overcome with pride um, to the point that he becomes a deranged dragon. Eustace becomes like an actual dragon, scales and everything, right? Because sin calluses us. And so uh, he becomes this deranged dragon, uh, much like the king becomes a deranged animal, to the point that until he's ready to cry out. So he comes to a point, Eustace does, that he decides, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I'm tired of, of this hardness. I, I, I want to be clean. And so he, just, he wants to take a bath, but he can't because of the scales. And so he cuts the first layer of scale off, and he, he gets ready to, 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 to bathe. And then, and then there's another one. And so he cuts that one off. And there's another one. He's saying, how many, how many layers do I have? He's crying out, right? And Aslan, who represents Jesus, comes to Eustace and he says, hey, you're going to have to let me do that. You, you, can't, you, you can't dig deep enough in you to remove the pride that you have. It goes that deep, he, he, he basically says. He says, you're going to have to lay down and let me undress you, is what Aslan says. And so this is, uh, this is Eustace's response, because uh, Aslan does that, and, and he, uh, he, with his claws, right, um, with his claws, he, he removes the scales, and uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard that line, he is not safe, right? We, we toy with God, we kind of think that he's safe, God's dangerous, <laughs> and God... With those claws, he's going to reach in and he's going to remove these scales. And I want you to listen to uh, the response of Eustace in this book written by C.S. Lewis. Uh, he says, at first I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and I let him do it. The first tear that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of the feeling of the stuff peeling off. You may think that this is something I can handle myself. I can just clean up my own life. I can just get to a place where I'm praying a little more. I can just read my Bible a little more and it's going to be okay. No. You're still being God. You're still being king. You're dictating what to do in order to fix yourself. And that's not how it works. You know what we need to do? Some of us here this morning, we just need to lay flat on our back and let God do the cutting. And I'm going to be honest, it's going to hurt. When God points out deep sin like pride, like the root of sin in your life, it hurts, man. It doesn't feel good at all. But it's what it takes so that we can feel again. So that we can have that new skin. So that we can feel. So that we have those senses that God meant us to have. And so this morning I would just ask you. Do you need to lay flat on your back today? Right? Maybe that happens through a prayer. Something like God. Here I am. We just get vulnerable for him. God I, I, uh, I just want to confess that I've been trying to do this on my own for so long. And I'm tired, and I'm worn out, and I'm weary, and I don't even know how to get back. So God, I'm, I'm letting go. God, I'm, I'm laying down. God, I'm, I'm giving in. God, I'm giving up. Take everything that I have. Take control of my life. Again, take your rightful place as the king of my heart. Right? 
pray some kind. It doesn't have to be those words exactly. But some kind of words like that, uh, I think, are right. Now, when we do, when we've done that, when he does what he does, here's the second part. We have to praise him. Got to praise him. What, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? You remember how the text ends? Nebuchadnezzar, this, is, this, is, this was a once pagan king, and, and it ends, and he says, uh, then I praised the Most High, and I honored and I glorified Him who lives forever. That was the result. The result of, of being forced to confess that God was king, not him. The result of seven seasons of wildness, the result is you are king, not me. Praising God for what he's done, okay? And, and that too has to be our response. And then finally, guys, I would just say to you, uh, again, if we want to be like Daniel, we cannot be afraid to tell other people that Jesus is king. Cannot be afraid to tell other people that Jesus is king. So we didn't have time in the first service. We're going to do it right now, though. Uh, we're going to do a little business, if you don't mind. So we're going to, uh, don't freak out. The lights are going to lower just a little bit. Uh, and that is because um, pride, uh, specifically, is a sin that uh, doesn't like to be called out. It's a stronghold that doesn't like to be touched. And, and what happens in a place when all the lights are on and uh, you can all see one another is uh, you start looking around and go, nope, I'm better than that person. I ain't doing it. Nope. Uh-uh. Uh, no, that dude's a mess. He needs to go forward. Nope, not me. I'm good. Uh, you know, and, and it, it just gets a little tough. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is have a moment that we can deal. And so can we go back to that, number, that, that first application slide? And this is what we're going to do is this... Uh, this laying down moment, kind of allowing God to remove our pride. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads um, for a second, if you don't mind. Um, Jacob's going to play uh, just a little bit. And I just want to talk about what it looks like to ask um, God to be the king of your heart um, after all, all, all that trouble, um, after all that time of, of being in control. Uh, what does that look like? How do I, how do I lay down? How do I give God um, that, that time and that space back? And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you just over the next couple of minutes to come and just do what only you can. God, we need you. And, and we need you to cut away. We need you to cut away the pride. And, and somebody, there's, so, there's people right here, they're, they're feeling that just wild craziness of the seasons. And they know it's not just life. But it has a whole lot more to do with their life and the choices they're making right now. And so, God, I'm just asking, by the power of your spirit, you do something that only you can. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just looking for people that know they need to lay flat on their back this morning. And you don't actually have to come lay flat on your back. But I want you to take a position of humility this morning. Get on your knees you can't get on your knees, open up your palms, bow your head low. I want you to find some place that you're going to come before God right now and say, God, I'm done being king. God, I am done trying to call the shots. I am done with this and I'm tired of it and I want to come home and I'm just recognizing that you're king, not me. And I want you to get low. I mean it right now. I want you to get low. Like this is, don't wait on me. Just find some way to get low. You can turn around in the pew in front of you. You can come lay prostrate before uh, these steps. Whatever it takes to get low and say, God, I want to come home. God, I want, 
I want you on your throne. I don't want to be there anymore. I want to reject this, this false kingship that I've been carrying around. I'm so tired of the weight. I'm so tired of the burden. I'm so tired of the distance. I want you to be the king of my heart right now, God. I'm repenting of this sin. I'm calling it for what it is. I don't want to be prideful anymore, God. Take control of me. I just want you to get low. You find a place to get low. And you start praying to him about your pride. You make it personal. Don't use my words. Just between him and you. And let's make him the king again. Just right now. You can come forward. You can do it where you are. Just bow. Get, get low. Let there be a physical posture attached to the posture of your heart. So I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Those that have taken that um, posture of humility in some form or another. And um, we call this uh, a prayer of repentance. And that's a, repentance means a change. It means that we, were, we came in, we were kind of heading in a direction. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we recognize it today. And we're, we're turning. But we're not just turning. We're going to walk in the opposite direction of when we came in. You ever notice that when you go to church that you walk through one set of doors and then eventually as we send you out in the mission field you got to turn from how you walked in and you got to walk out the other direction. 
So this morning, we're just going to pray a prayer that looks like that, hopefully in our hearts, that's effectual. God, I want you to personalize. You make it I. This is not us. This is I. God, when I came through these doors, I want to confess that I was in charge of too much. I want to confess that there were too many areas of my life that I was trying to handle on my own and by myself. God, I can't do it anymore. So Lord, I'm laying down on my back and I'm going to ask you today to dig as deep as you need to dig to cut away all of the hard, scaly, nasty stuff in me that I can feel you again. Take your rightful place in my life again, King Jesus. You are good. You are the king of my heart. Help me to never, never try to sit in your place ever again. Please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.